flush out all of the stuff of the old that continues to plague. And then I saw a picture as Linda was declaring the living water of intercessors releasing the living water over loved ones who need a touch to their mind, a healing touch to their mind, whether it's an effect of a disease, whether it's an effect of drugs and, and brain damage, whether whatever the cause, the Lord is saying that we are to stand in intercession and declare the living water, the healing flow and the flushing of the living water of the Holy Spirit over those people daily. So, Lord, now in the name of Jesus, in obedience to your word, the living water, the power and the glory of the Holy Spirit being released over people's lives and hearts and minds, Lord, I saw so clearly the injured brains and the river just pouring over it, bringing life, bringing refreshing bringing memory, bringing healing, bringing clarity, clarity of thought in the name of Jesus. And your word says we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. In the name of Jesus, we declare it and we receive it in the name of our Lord. Amen. Keep worshiping. Yeah. 
We don't want to talk to you like you're not in the room. We don't want to sing to you like you're not in the room. Your word says that where we are, the presence of the Lord is. We thank you, Jesus, that you inhabit the praise of your people. That your word says where two or three are gathered, you are there in our midst. We thank you for being in our midst. Lord, it's your presence, God, that we need. We love your presence, Lord. We love your presence. Lord, we know in your presence is fullness of joy. We thank you, God, for breaking the yokes of bondage. We thank you for your word says, Lord, whatever we bound onto this earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on this earth shall be loosed in heaven. So, Lord, loose the floodwaters of revival. Loose the floodwaters of your presence. Lord, loose your power, the floodwaters of your power in the name of Jesus. Lord, loose your freedom on your people, God. Lord, free us. We break every bondage in the name of Jesus. Lord, we bind every lie the enemy has spoken over us. Lord, we bind every wall that's been placed in front of us. We break it in the name of Jesus. We lose freedom and liberty. We lose the praise that you are due. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the garment of praise that you've given us for the spirit of heaviness. We thank you for that garment of praise, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your freedom and liberty in this place. We thank you, Lord, that you are glorified. We thank you for the, the message in tongues. We thank you for that, Lord. What a beautiful gift. We thank you for your gifts, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your power. You're such a good God. We thank you for your word. Yes. <laughs> your word is so awesome. Where would we be without your word? We wouldn't know how to come into your presence. We wouldn't know how to seek you. We wouldn't know that if we put you first in our lives that you would take care of everything else. We wouldn't know that we could come to you and ask for forgiveness and you would say you're forgiven. We wouldn't know that it's supposed to be a new life, a new creation, totally transformed. That the dead is gone and the new has come. We wouldn't know. We wouldn't know of love. We thank you so much for your love and for your power and your presence, Jesus. praying this morning. I've been praying for us as a body, as a church. And this morning I was just walking around the parking lot. Just the word family just kept coming to me. And it was the, 
something that word the Lord put on my heart, one of the things I heard when we were going to be pastoring was just that sense of family, that word family. And I would just, just remind today of, of anything else that's went on today, today is a family gathering. This is a family gathering. This is what happens when we gather as a family. You know, this is, we're going to go um, later today and celebrate my mom's birthday and have a family gathering. And uh, it's my mom's birthday today, so I get to be honored to, I'm going to sing happy birthday to her. And you guys would join me. But, but as we're going to do that, every time we come together, every time we come together, it's a family gathering. I want you to think about that. That is something that God has instituted. He's instituted family. He's ordained family. He has put his stamp of approval on family, and he's given us that relationship as us, as a, as a body in him, as a family. We see Father God. We also have this, this other ordained institution, which is marriage, that God has used this picture of us and him as a bride. And it's such a beautiful picture. We understand what love is. We understand what forgiveness looks like. We see that this is what God has designed. And this is supposed to affect everything else. This isn't some little thing that we just get together and, and uh, sing Kumbaya. And we're coming together, and I was praying this morning, Lord, protect us. Protect our minds. Protect us physically as we travel. Or protect our minds and our, our insight to hear and see what you want us to hear and see. I was asking the Lord for his presence. Lord, we need your presence. We need your presence. That, that line in that song we sang, it, it stopped me. I was working at my bench one day. First time I ever heard, you won't relent. And it was a good song. I was just, oh, yeah. And then I heard her say, I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to look right at you. I want to sing right to you. And that stopped me. And I started crying. I said, God, I don't want to talk to you like you're not in the room. I don't want it to be something that we just get in the habit of doing. We, we get in the habit of praying. We just start talking. I want to talk to you like you're right here. I went the other day over to the bus area where there's those um, concrete picnic tables and purposefully just left my phone here at the church and just went and spent an hour. And I sat down at the picnic table and I just pictured Jesus sitting on the other side of me. Amen. I wasn't talking to him like he was in the room. I was talking to him like he was sitting right there on that picnic table. I tell you what, when you do that, it changes how you pray. Amen. You begin to weep and cry and say, God, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. How would you even love me? And you're so thankful that he does. And I spent time just praying in the spirit. I, gotta, I was so blessed last week. We, um, there was a lady who came up and wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Man, the Holy Spirit just baptized her and rocked her. And I was over there and I was encouraging her to pray like this every day. And man, what a beautiful time I had just praying and talking to the Lord and then just praying in tongues and talking to the Lord. And we serve a good God. I was praying over this week's message and praying that I would deliver it properly. And, you know, I was wrestling with it. I was wrestling through the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know, man. There's been a handful of times already I've been just really tempted to just skip a section. <laughs> just saying, like, and the Lord was like, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't skip a section. He loves us so much that he loves us enough to show us what his ideal is, to show us what the best is, what his intent is, Amen. his purpose is. Yes. And that when we'll do it, he'll bless it. Amen. I love him for that. Yes. And, I, and he was, <laughs> he risked everything to come and tell the truth. He was in a situation in a culture that's very similar to today. Could have even been a little worse at the time on this subject, on divorce. Because they were, they got it so wrong. And Jesus goes through this list of things, and, and through this process of the Sermon on the Mount, I keep hearing and seeing that what our idea is on things and what his idea on things are so much higher. And I've been, you've been hearing me say, it doesn't matter what I think about that, and it doesn't matter what you think about it, but it really matters what he thinks about it. And I keep seeing that every week, more and more and more. We can't let our culture and our experience define what he says. And we have a tendency to do that over and over. And, and, and people have been doing that since, since the beginning. That's not his thoughts on it. It's not his plan. It's not his perfect will. And I am very thankful that 
I have missed God's perfect will so many times, and he's been so merciful and so loving, and he's a God of restoration, and I'm so grateful for his restoration, but I'm also grateful for his word now that I can see what his plan is. I can see the goodness and the fruitfulness of his word, and I can learn how to put myself in a position to walk in that uh, place with him that he's leading me, and he's guiding me, and he's directing my steps, and the blessings come. So it's with that heart that I'm sharing today's message, which is, and I, I, I just put it all on Jesus this week. I just, just chickened out and said, um, Jesus and the law of divorce, <laughs> which is the truth. It's not Steve and the law of divorce. So mom, could you stand up for a second? On that topic, there was many opportunities. I got to tell you a little something about my mom. She had many opportunities to... Um, Leave my dad. Many. There was lots of things that happened growing up, and, and uh, man, you did it. You showed me the example. You showed me what prayer looks like. You showed me I wouldn't be here without her. Obviously, she, she bore me, but I wouldn't be here still today if she didn't pray for me. Amen. If she didn't intercede for me, I promise you this, I would not be here. And uh, church, you can learn a lot talking to my mom on how to pray and how to have faith and how to intercede and how to not give up. It's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So I just want to honor you, Mom. I love you. And I thank you for your faithfulness in prayer. And, and I don't take that lightly. So happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Mom. Happy birthday to you. Amen. Oh, yeah. Forgot. I didn't see Sister Abelina, so kids, why don't you go ahead and come up and let me pray a blessing over you. <laughs> Actually, this would be a good one for you to hear. <laughs> Lord, thank you for these uh, young people. I thank you for our children, God. You've instated the family. You've designed it. You've to put marriage together, Lord, so that there would be godly offspring. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that our teachers today, God, would be able to minister and teach them and show them, Lord, your ways. And God, I just thank you, thank you for your protection over our children, God. They're, they go to schools and they're out amongst people, Lord, in a society today that is so counterculture to what you would say is right. And Lord, I thank you for the calling that's on each one of them, Lord, to go be light. That they'd let their light so shine before men that they would see you in them. And I pray, Holy Spirit, empower them. For good works. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Man, I feel like. Well, we still got a half hour, so. <laughs> I'm not going to preach the whole message today, and that's probably the biggest amen we'll get today. Um, <laughs> um, as I was preparing this message, I was really planning, really seriously planning on it being a, this is going to be a one week shot and we'll just move on. And um, the Holy Spirit is not taking that path. And I can honestly say I'm very grateful now. Um, just seeing God's heart and seeing his love and his goodness through this topic has been really, um, it's been a good encounter. I, I was a little nervous because I understand the, the situation that we're in, the times we're in, that a lot of us have um, been through divorce, have seen, uh, felt the pain of it, the struggle of it. Um, I just got to say, I'm not, I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. Um, from from a from someone who has violated and broken most of every commandment that God's ever made, um, I didn't um, break the divorce one because simply um, I wasn't saved and there wasn't anyone crazy enough to marry me. So, um, not saying I didn't date crazy because I did, um, but <laughs> a couple times I think, but. Um, it had that, <laughs> maybe, maybe a praying mom kept, kept that marriage from happening, but, <laughs> um, I would be in that, I would be in that place for sure. Um, just, just didn't get married in my younger years. And, um, this isn't from a place of throwing rocks. It's just from a place of the truth and God's plan for our lives and what, how he sees things. And, 
Um, and I'm very grateful that in everything that we, we can do, there's always forgiveness and, and restoration. That's the God that we serve. Amen. We serve a good God. Amen. So with that, um, I want to bring a lot of culture into this topic. In, in Matthew 5, 31 and 32, um, you keep hearing this. You've heard it said, but I say, and, and Jesus says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Jesus is quoting uh, law in Deuteronomy. It says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, in order to really break this down, we have to go look at is the first, verse, first places in Deuteronomy, what Jesus quotes. And then we're going to look into some of the other um, passages that, that are spoken about um, divorce. And later on in Matthew, um, Jesus, the, the Pharisees come up again and they're questioning him and they're, wanting to, they're really wanting to trip him up, um, which they often were trying to do. But Jesus just takes him to such a higher place. But, so Deuteronomy 24.1 says this, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. So there was two thoughts and two schools on this passage of Scripture. And one of them was um, a school of Shemai, Shemai. And he declares that only valid reason for divorce was infidelity. And then there was this school of Hillel. And they interpreted, that school interpreted that passage we just read, to mean anything a husband might disapprove of, even something so minor as burning a meal. He finds someone more attractive. He doesn't like his wife's attitude. <laughs> this was the majority of the Jewish world's take at the time, even amongst the rabbis. Now, when I was studying this out, I had, I'm skipping all a bunch of stuff, which Holy Spirit helped me out. When I was studying this out, the rabbis of this school of Hillel, and this was, they said over 75% of the people, of the Jews of that time, follow this and believe that this was the right interpretation. The priests under this teaching would literally, they would go into a city and they would set up shop. I say set up shop. They would go and teach. They would set up their temple. They would teach and every, they would come into this new city. They would get a wife. They'd have a new wife. And when it was time for them to leave and travel somewhere else, they would divorce her. They'd go to a new city, begin to teach, they'd get a new wife. This was the priest. So it was very common to find women who'd been divorced like multiple times. You remember when Jesus went to the, to the um, well in Samaria and he was talking to the lady at the well and, and she said, well, I have no husband. And he said, well, that's true. You've had five. That's why. We, we look at the lady at the, like, man, she must have been some sort of a harlot or something. Or, well, can you imagine in this culture where your husband comes home and he didn't quite like how you prepared that meal? He could write you a certificate of divorce. Take two witnesses. And I don't know if he's made them sample the meal or what they would do, but get two guys to, to say that, yeah, she's not approved in my eyes and here's your divorce. And in this culture, women weren't like um, working at all the different, have all the opportunities to make money. So off she went and she had to make a choice either. I'm going to need to get, find someone else to marry me or I'm going to find an occupation that I can make money in. So this husband is now making her commit adultery. That's, that's where this was at. Now, in the journey through the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus say multiple times, you've heard, but I say. We continue to see his standard is much greater than what the Pharisees and the culture would say. Jesus risks multiple times alienating many Jews by his stance and correction of the law and how it had been interpreted. He was speaking in a culture where divorce was rampant and was the norm. This is where Jesus makes this statement, makes this stance. Now, this, this same school of Hillel, when, when it was able to divorce your wife because 
You didn't like her attitude or because maybe you saw someone more attractive. That's literally the reason. It says you no longer found her beautiful and you, there was someone else that you thought was more beautiful. Divorce her. Go after her. Basically, this is my words, but I hear this term a lot. This is, this is what they were saying. I deserve to be happy. I deserve to be happy. I have a right to be happy. This is a very common theme today. I deserve to be happy. I hear this term a lot when people start having struggles. Well, I have a right to be happy. I deserve to be happy. I'll agree with you if you can show me chapter and verse on that. It's not there. See, when we become a Christian, we surrender our rights. They're surrendered to him. Now, I will tell you this. When you surrender your rights to him, there's, there's going to be way, something way better than happiness. It's going to be joy. Yes. See, joy comes inside. Right. Happiness depends on happenings. Right. Mm-hmm. I come home from work and my wife made me a great dinner. I'm happy. <laughs> I come home from work and there's no dinner. I'm not happy. <laughs> now, I can have that moment as a Christian, but I still have joy. Hey, I still have a wife. Praise <laughs> God. Right? Bible says you have a man who finds a wife has a, finds a good thing. Amen. Amen. So I'm happy and I have joy. Amen. Happiness can come and go, but joy sticks around. Yes. We have a right to be happy. No, we deserve. I'm so thankful I don't get what I deserve. Right? People say I deserve. You really don't want what you deserve. No. You really don't. You're not much different than me. Right. If you got what you deserve, it'd be hell. That's Bible. <laughs> so as Christians, we shouldn't go running around, well, I, de- I deserve to be right. I deserve to be happy. I deserve. I have, I have a right to this. Now, you have a right to surrender to the Lord. You have a right to get in your word and, and, put, and apply that to your life and see the blessings come from that. That's just your right. Is. Your, your right is to follow him and submit to him in all your ways. To not get your take on it. What's, what's he saying? Yeah. And through the Sermon on the Mount, I keep seeing over and over and over. You see Jesus coming to this, having this encounter. You know, that's, this is what you're saying. This is what the Pharisees are saying. This is what your teachers are saying. This is what, but I say. Amen. And every single time you see his standard goes way higher. Amen. Ridiculously higher. He said, you've heard it said you shall not murder. He goes, but I say. If you have hatred towards your brother... You've already committed murder. You've heard it say, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say, if you even look upon a woman with lust, you've committed adultery already. See, that's a way higher standard. And now Jesus comes to this this (laughs) crash course, and he just, bam, let's talk about divorce now. You've heard it said, but I say. You see, in that culture, divorce was rampant. And... The crazy thing is, is that the Jewish men considered divorce a gift from God. They considered that a gift from God. Isn't that sad? Jesus going like, look, let me set this straight. I didn't give you this. You, you notice that they don't use, the Jews are about to, the Pharisees are about to bring a, a in quote, a passage to Jesus, which is going to Deuteronomy, but they don't bring another passage that they were very familiar with. And it comes out of the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. This is God speaking. It says, here is another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, Why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with her? With your wife. Now listen to this. One in body and spirit. You are his. That's a powerful one right there. Not just one in body, one in spirit. 
And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your what? Heart. Remain loyal to your wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. Jesus keeps going to the heart. As he's been doing, it's to the heart. It's not to the letter of the law. The Pharisees kept going to the letter of the law. Jesus kept going to the heart. I'm so grateful he does that. He wants, it, he wants, us to, he wants to change our hearts so that it changes and affects everything else. He wants things to get healed right from the earliest part, not down the road, not before it gets all messed up. I'm grateful that he'll even heal that. But he wants us to have our heart right. Point one, that was all introduction. The Pharisees viewed marriage as a social institution governed by the laws of men. Here's that, it doesn't matter what you think, what the culture thinks. Here's how Jesus views marriage. Jesus viewed marriage as a divine institution, divine institution governed by the laws of God, not the laws of men. So the Pharisees come again to Jesus. This is in the chapter 19 of Matthew. And they're testing him. And it says, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered. I love how he answers. Jesus is so darn smart, right? He's God. They don't really know that. But he's, he, he messes with them. Because these are the religious experts. They know the law. They know the... And he just asked like the simplest, most innocent question. Have you not read? <laughs> Have you not read that he who created from the beginning... I want to emphasize that. From the beginning. Jesus takes him where? Not to Deuteronomy. He's going, I'm not, I'm not basically saying, I'm not falling for your trap. You want me to back one man's side or the other side of a man. Let me take you to what God said. He answered, you've not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. I got to stop for a second. I didn't do this in the first service, but men, you need to leave your mama and your daddy. Women, you need to leave your mama and your daddy. This is, this is God's plan. Leave your mom, leave your dad, cleave to your spouse. This isn't dishonoring. This is saying you're leaving your mother, you're leaving your father, you're leaving everything else behind, and you are being cleaved to your spouse. That's his design. Some, there were some laughs. Man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one to who? To him. They are one. So hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What, therefore, God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, this really stood out to me in my studies that he didn't say to whom God has joined together, let no man separate. He said what God has joined together, let no man separate. So you, you can take the excuse out of, well, I married this person before I was a Christian. I've heard, we, we, how many have heard that? Well, I, I wasn't even saved when we got married. So now you think like you're both saved now, but this might not have been God's like deal. There could have been maybe a better option out there that you missed. He didn't say whom God has joined together. He said what God has joined together. The, the part of the two becoming one flesh is what God's joined together. You hearing me? I like that he puts this really, what therefore God has joined together. They said to him, well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce, which is Deuteronomy 24. Why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away. 
So he answers the question, here's why, because of your hardness of heart. Because of your hardness of heart. Moses, now look, he, he fixes what they were saying. They said, well, why did Moses command? Jesus says, well, your hardness of heart. And by the way, Moses didn't command it. He permitted it. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. What does Jesus do? Let me take you back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. I didn't institute divorce. Here's what I instituted. Two people becoming one in flesh and spirit. That's my doing. Anything outside of that is your doing. That's what God says. That's what Jesus is saying. And I'm going to show you some more. Now, this isn't like saying you missed the mark. Jesus is setting this straight. Like, this is my plan. So, so now listen. He says, from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now, I am going to, it won't be today, but the next time I preach, um, I am going to be going over, over a bunch of what ifs, because I know there's already a bunch of what ifs coming into your minds. Well, what about this? And what about that? Well, no, we'll cover those, okay? There's going to be some what ifs, but we're going to cover them according to what Jesus says, okay? We're going to cover them according to what Jesus says and what his view is, not mine, not yours, and, and along the way, you're going to let the Holy Spirit speak to you, amen? Yeah. Amen. So verse 10, after this, after Jesus lays it out, says, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. This shows you the ingrained depth of the culture, even in the disciples of divorce. It was so ridiculously common and it was for any reason they want. And it was, they were thought it was as a, as a gift that God gave them that when Jesus says like, um, it wasn't so from the beginning, I didn't give this to you. The only, the only thing that you could be, have a, a divorce for is immorality, sexual immorality. They're like, poof, mind blown. They're like, then it's better not even to get married. I mean, that's their conclusion. That is so tripped me out when I was studying that. I'm like, whoa, this is like, can you imagine that? That's the culture they're in. Now, I want you to look at this passage a little bit with me. Jesus avoids the trap of the Pharisees by quoting Genesis 2.24 and says, haven't you read? Now, I got to say, this is the same kind of thing he's going to say to all of us on all kinds of different topics, not just divorce. How many of us, we want to go and find the what ifs on lots of different topics and lots of different things. Well, what about this, Lord? Well, what about that? Well, what about in this case? We're always like trying to, to find that rabbit hole or the, the way around and he's going to say, every single time, he's going to say, haven't you read? How many has experienced that? Lord, I really don't. He's, well, haven't you read? Dang it. Yes, I have. <laughs> right? I've read it. I still, I, I want to come and maybe you'll change your mind. Well, haven't you read? It wasn't this way from the beginning. Okay, and we're going to go a little deeper in that, which will kind of shed some light on this. See, Jesus took him back to the original law of marriage where a man and woman were inseparably united until marriage was dissolved by death. That's his plan. That's his plan. That what dissolves marriage is death. Jesus using the term from the beginning, it was not so, implies it is still not so. You hear me? When he takes you back and says, it was not so, it's still not so. He's clarifying See, God has a plan for man and woman in marriage, and his plan has not changed. God's got a plan. It's a good plan. Stuff can happen, but his plan's a good plan. Amen? And that's what we're always aiming at is his plan, right? See, when we get saved, it's not this, well, I want this and I want that. It's you lay down your plan. At least that's what it's supposed to look like. When you become a Christian, your plan goes out the window. All your hopes, wants, dreams, plans, desires, they take a back seat. They have to. Or he says, you're not mine. Like, we got to understand that. He doesn't take 90% of you. He says, I want all of you. 
and he uses this bride picture of the church, he's not like, I don't want my wife 10% of the time of our marriage to be with someone else. We're not going to make that deal. That ain't happening. And I'm pretty sure she's not okay with me 10% of the time being unfaithful. There's no, um, what do they call that? It's like the joke you get the pass or something for some movie star or some stupid thing or you know what I'm talking about. There's no pass. That's not God's plan. From the beginning, it was not so. So let's look at that. Point two, Moses did not command divorce. Jesus straightens that out. Moses did not command divorce. He permitted it. Why did Moses permit divorce? Doesn't matter what I think about that. It doesn't matter what you think about. What did Jesus say why divorce was permitted? Because of their hardness of hearts. And one of my points that we won't get to today is how God changes that, which is amazing. It was totally Holy Spirit revelation. Divorce did not originate with God. This is what Jesus is saying. Divorce did not originate with God. He takes him to the beginning. He says, it didn't originate with me. It originated with Moses. Hear me. It originated with Moses. You know what else originated with Moses? Polygamy. Think about that. Do you see in the garden that God made Adam and Eve and Rebecca and, you know, Patty and six other ladies? That wasn't God's plan from the beginning. But what happened over time because of what? Because of man's hardness of heart, what did they do? They took on more wives. Was that God's plan? Did Moses permit it? Yes. Why? Was it God's plan? Did it happen? Is there laws concerning it? Good. Glad we covered that. What I, what I want you to see is the ideal, no divorce, had been abandoned. The ideal, God's ideal, had been abandoned. In a sense, the law of Moses had adapted itself to the human sinful condition. How does that happen? That term, hardness of heart, was really originally towards people who weren't, they weren't Israelites. They were outsiders. So how did it come about? Well, once again, Israel didn't follow God's plan, and they went outside, married other people outside of what God said. Here's your boundaries of who you should marry. And they took on their customs, and they took on their culture, and they took on, well, what my grandpa said, and my mom and dad did this, and my dad had 16 wives. That wasn't God's plan. So that became part of Israel's time, and then there had to, Moses had to figure some stuff out. So he made up some laws. It's awfully quiet today. <laughs> it will get better. <laughs> Moses had adapted itself to the human sinful condition. Now listen, people had become so far removed from God, and this is why he did it. People had become so far removed from God, a wife ran the risk of being mistreated or even killed in order for the husband to be free. That's what was going on. And it's that way today. We just seen a whole different thing. There's, there's husbands and there's wives that they want to be free from their spouse and they don't want a divorce because then they might get half of their stuff. So they're like, let's pay someone and off them. Amen. Nothing new. Moses going like, there's some women disappearing. We better make a law. People coming with the problem. What should we do? Instead of going, well, this is what it said in the beginning. This is what we'll do. <clears throat> Hardness of heart. Point three. The reason a second marriage after divorce was considered adultery was that the first still stood in the sight of God. 
Think about it. When you got married to your husband and then your husband decides, I don't like what you made. You're not that good of a cook. I'm divorcing you. And now you don't really have much option. You need to get remarried or you're going to go into prostitution or something else to provide for yourself because those were basically your options. Now you get married, and because that marriage still stood in, in God's sight, that's adultery. There was a lot of adultery going on. Do you see what the problem is here? God said, here is what marriage is binding. Here is what, the, what I see is what breaks it. They were going, I, I have a right to be happy. So I want this, 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 and this, and this. And God's going, um, you're one in spirit. I haven't released you. I haven't said that this is what violates a marriage. So then everything else going on after that's adultery. That's not getting the blessing of God. So Jesus is like clearing this up. Let's look at this. What God has joined together, let no man separate. What God has joined together, let no man separate, not who. Now, I got to give you a little personal interpretation of my encounter with that passage of scripture. I had a very good friend and, and uh, his wife and my best friend going through, they got married and he wasn't really completely honest about some stuff he was still struggling with. And through some time, um, it, it showed itself and um, it wasn't a sexual thing. It was more addiction. And, but he was going to the extreme of like, she's working. He had quit. He was so messed up. He quit working, wasn't working, draining all their accounts, draining everything. And um, I, I wanted in the natural, I wanted to lay hands on him. And I wanted to, um, yeah, not pray for him. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to tell her like you should leave him. I really did, because I loved them both. But he was messing up bad. And she would call, and she would call and say, Steve, this is what's going on. And oh, and and I it got to a point of so long that I almost I was this close to saying, you know what, Blenda, leave him. Forget it. You don't need. You don't deserve that. That was what you don't deserve that. And if I've ever heard the, vo the voice of the Lord, I heard very, he said, whom God has joined together, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Yes. And I went, I'm going to back off. I'm not going to say that. I don't have no business saying that. And I, I encouraged her and, I, and I, began, I began to speak the truth. I said, Belinda, here's the thing. God's a God of restoration. Amen. God's a God of restoration. God is a God of hope. I said, let's have you, I've been praying for him, but Steve, this is hard. I said, I know it is. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pray with you. And we began to pray. We began to intercede. And, and I don't know how long it went on for quite a while. And then one night, um, worship was going on and, and it was a Sunday night service. And I went down to the altar and I just felt this burden. I, I felt the Lord, let me feel the pain of what was going on in that marriage. And, and I wept it. it I felt that pain and I prayed and interceded for their marriage until I felt something break. And something broke. And about two weeks later, she called me. She said, Steve, Chad said he'll go back to Teen Challenge. He's willing to go, go for restoration. He's willing to get counseling. And, and God restored their marriage. Amen. Now, had I done what I wanted to do and said, you know what? You don't need to be married to him no more. That probably wouldn't have happened. So don't come to me. I'm just saying all that to say, if, you, if you're coming to me to give you permission, I will tell you, I can say, well, this is what legally the word says, but I'm not going to tell you to, to divorce your spouse. God's going to have to tell you that. Just saying. At least I'm not planning on it. The one, the one time that I really, really wanted to, he, he said pretty plain words, what I've joined together, let no man separate. And I'm a man, so I won't be doing any separations. And I will come and separate someone if someone's beating the crap out of someone else. You can bet your butt I'm going to come and help you on that one. Those are the what ifs, though, for later. <laughs> That's next week, what ifs. Just writing a receipt of divorce, this is what they would do. They would just write a receipt of divorce, get a witness, get two witnesses, write a receipt, send them on their way. That is crazy. Irreconcilable differences. How are we going to have the blessing of God when we don't follow his plan? 
Jesus said divorce is not permitted except for fornication. And here's the tough stuff. I studied this out. This does not mean that divorce should automatically occur when a spouse commits adultery or is unfaithful. Hear me out. You have legal grounds. But the word fornication in the Greek is pornea. Interesting word, pornea. It means habitual adultery, habitual sexual immorality. It is not a confessed and repented act. There's a big difference between someone who messed up and comes and, and is brokenhearted and begs God for forgiveness and you for forgiveness and someone who continues and continues and continues in the act. There's a difference. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. I, am, I, don't, I do say, here's what, the, here's what you can. You have a legal ground. But God is going like, here's what the legal ground is, and here's my heart. And I'd have to say, if God forbid that ever happened to me, um, I could honestly say I'm at a point in my, my walk that I would look at myself. I would look, and I understand what love is supposed to be. I've had a great revelation on love, and, and I, could, I probably couldn't have said this a couple years ago, but I can say that because of how much God loves me, I have to love like he loves I have to. And if, if, I, if I can say I haven't broken and violated his covenant and what I'm supposed to be with him, then I can say to my wife, you're done, I'm out. I couldn't do that. Because I'd be a hypocrite. Because he's poured so much love into my life when I've done, not deserved it. And he has forgiven me so many times. So many times. It's legal. But even in the word, it, it doesn't mean that someone messed up and they came and said, please forgive me, I'm sorry. And they were repentant. It means they continued. And I don't know where that line is. I'm just going to tell you, I don't know where that line is. That's where you got to seek God on that. I don't know where it is. I'm not going to tell you where it is. Just like I don't know where someone's line of salvation is. I don't know where it is. I know I want to stay far from that line where grace ends or wherever that is where you step over, but it's the same type of thing. It's that unrepentant, unbelieving, leave me alone, God. I want nothing to do with you. I'm doing my own thing. You're on dangerous ground when you're in that spot. But I know this, when you screw up and you're like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. God's not like, you're out of heaven, gone. (laughs) That would seem very strange, wouldn't it? Here's what I got to, we're going to close. This view of marriage is so much higher. See, Jesus' view of marriage was so much higher than even his disciples that they concluded it might be better not to even marry at all. That's how much higher his view of marriage is than ours. They were left with that conclusion. It might be better not to marry at all. They're basically saying, you got to be kidding me, Jesus. You mean all of this stuff and I should still stay married? It wasn't this way in the beginning. And the reason it's going this way is because of hardness of heart. Now, I'm going to tell you, all of this list so far that we've been through in, in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not possible to obey it. It's not possible in your own strength. It's not possible. Now, Jesus isn't asking us to do something that's impossible. He's saying, you won't be able to do it without me. Amen. You will never reach my purpose. You will never reach the intent that I have, the things that I've planned from the beginning. It'll never happen without me. Amen. See, I'm not saying that trying to make things, I'm not trying to make nothing bigger or harder. You've got to work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. You've got to work those things out. Like, I don't know where the end... When I read that... When two become one, it's not just in flesh, in spirit. I don't even understand that. This is where when we go into the next time, Paul says, it's a mystery. The two become one. It's a mystery. It's a great mystery. Now, here's what's not a mystery. God is a God of restoration. God is a God of restoration. He can heal anything. He can restore anything. 
And anything that we've done that was under the blood is under the blood. I, I got interviewed to, to, for a, a denomination. It wasn't Foursquare, so, and I'm not going to tell you which one. But it was the craziest thing. It blew my mind that, that this topic was such a thing of like, well, it's the most worst thing that could ever happen. If you've ever been divorced, like, you're horrible. That's not Jesus' words. That's not what I'm saying. I went before a denomination, literally, they asked all these questions. I said, yeah, you know, I, I, I told them, well, you know, I just want you to know at the time, I hadn't been pardoned yet, so I was a felon. I said, I am a felon. They said, okay, well, have you ever been divorced? <laughs> I'm dead serious. I said, no, okay. They didn't even ask me what I did. I could have killed 15 people and ate them. <laughs> okay, did you divorce anyone? No. Oh, we're good. That's ridiculous. That's not the impardonable sin. I'm very grateful that we serve a God of restoration. And, and I wish we don't have the time, but there's going to be some more points. The what ifs. There's some... Uh, Amazing things, how God does, does things with our heart that come out of Scripture that the next half is going to be a lot happier, joy, joy, probably than the first half. But I got to tell you, I'm happy for the truth. The Word says if we'll know the truth, the truth will set us free. I want to be free. You know that we sang a song that was talking about free from the shame. If you've been divorced, I, just be free from the shame. If it's under the blood, be free from it. There's no judgment here. I'm not throwing rocks at you. If I throw a rock at you over that, you could throw 150 back at me for plenty of different things. What's ever been done in the past is the past. It's under, it's, Jesus said it's in the sea of forgetfulness. It's as far as the east is from the west, which is some amazing terminology because if you go east, you keep going east. You'll never hit west. <laughs> if you go west, you'll keep going west and you'll never hit east. It's almost like he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> We serve a good God. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not making excuses. I won't do that. If you come to me and you want to know, I'm going to say, what did he say? What did he say? Because he's much higher. His thoughts are way much higher than mine. My, my standard is, well, as long as I didn't kill him and murder him, I'm all right. And Jesus is like, sorry, son. <laughs> you wanted to. I did. You're guilty. Well, I didn't sleep with her. Son, you wanted to. You're guilty. Why? What is he after? My heart. He's after my heart. Not just so he can smack my hand and say, you're dumb. He wants my heart to change. He wants to, he's going to put his finger on some things and say, I need your heart. I need that hard heart to go soft. So that when I come and tap on it, you go, yeah, dad. Not calloused. So we're going to continue in this in a couple weeks. I got to say that I do know that when God blesses something, and his plan is a good plan. See, I messed up a whole bunch of stuff in the past, but when I did get saved, I did one thing right. And I think when you screw up so many things, you really have an understanding that you don't really know what you're doing. And I was there. I was like, I, God, if I'm going to go anything good forward, I'm going to need you to point it out. So I began to seek the Lord and pray and say, God, I need a wife who loves you more than she loves me. That's what I want. The rest of the stuff, I, I pretty much left it up to him. I really did. I mean, I'd like her to be pretty. That'd be awesome. But the one thing, I was seriously, I was pretty single-minded on, because I knew if, if she loves you more than she loves me, I'm going to be in real good shape. So when that time came, and, and I pretty much heard the Lord say, leave it alone. Here's the verse he gave me, when I, because I, I, I was pretty worried for a while about who I was going to marry. And uh, he gave me Matthew 6.33, which basically says, if I'll, what I determined, what, this is what it means for me. If I put him first and foremost in everything, he'll take care of everything else. So he said, son, put me first and foremost in your life. I'll take care of it. So I did. And one day, I got to leave Teen Challenge and came home and um, went into the Burson Church and I saw this beautiful lady playing piano. 
And it was this young lady that I had known since junior high and high school, and I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, if there was one person on the planet that I would know loved the Lord, was that lady right there. See, she loved God with all of her heart through all of school, and she was the only one. She was the only one that didn't, wasn't a hypocrite. And when I went in there, I seen this beautiful lady playing piano, and I said, God, that's what I want. And he blessed it. That's his plan for us. When we follow his plan, it's a good plan. And guess what? Even when we screw it up like I did, he will redeem it. He's a redeemer. When we put him first and we follow his will and we follow his plan, he will bless it. And that's what he wants for us. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet?